Life followed a pattern, which pulled him along without his permission or input. This is Right Here, Right Now, a podcast brought to you by Vocal, an online platform for creators of all kinds and levels of experience. It's a place to post, to read, to be inspired. I'm your host, Erica Wagner. This season, we'll be diving into a sequence of fictional worlds. Each of the stories you'll hear is a winner of the Vocal Plus Fiction Awards, all to be published next year in partnership with Unbound, the crowdfunded publisher. Out of more than 13,000 submissions, these terrific 25 were chosen. We know you'll love them as much as we do. Now, sit back and listen in. Maybe one of these stories will inspire one of your own. In this era of a global pandemic, jokes about waning social skills abound. Acknowledgements, humorous or otherwise, that Zoom calls have taken their toll on interpersonal relations are quite common. This next story takes that idea to the extreme in a way that's comic and discomforting all at once. This is Fake Meat by Madoka Mori. Fake Meat When it first started, he thought it might be Alzheimer's, or the signs of the onset of Alzheimer's. I'm too young to get Alzheimer's, he told himself. He was 37. Is that too young for Alzheimer's? He looked it up online, whether 37 was too young for Alzheimer's, and found some sources saying it was, some saying that no, it wasn't. He wondered how to phrase it. Too young for Alzheimer's? Too young to get Alzheimer's. He was reasonably certain that catch Alzheimer's was incorrect. It was not a cold. It was this uncertainty which led him to wonder about the Alzheimer's in the first place. A lack of confidence in what he was saying. An absence of trust in the very words he used. Did these words mean exactly what he thought they did? He worked in marketing and was used to expressing himself fluidly and well. Now, he stumbled over words in meetings, stammering as he tried to expand his point. Where he used to be succinct and glib, he was now long-winded and uninspiring. Was he just getting old? He traveled often for work. His company was a major producer of food-flavoring chemicals, with branches in every continent except South America. The big topic in flavorings these days was artificial meat and meat-like products. It was shaping up to be a sea change in the way people ate food and kept him moving from one region to the next to ensure that all elements of the corporation were pushing in the same direction, except when the particular demands and customer demographics of that region meant they must push in a different direction, or push softer in one aspect, or harder in another, or both. We have a strong historical tradition in soy, 
said his counterpart in the Japanese office. Consumers do not need to be persuaded to accept it here as in other markets. Yes, I know, he replied, blushing furiously. That's what I'm here for. Why I'm here. To ask you about... about the acceptance of soy. How to replicate it in other markets. Replicate its... acceptance. He had told them that at the start of the meeting, in his introduction, hadn't he? They were already 40 minutes into the meeting. What had they thought he was talking about? The meeting seemed a disaster, and he the cause of the disaster. But the follow-up email chain from the Japanese marketing department expressed gratitude and enthusiasm. Or at least, he thought it did. He wasn't sure what emails meant anymore. He read and reread the text of emails from his manager and colleagues, trying to glean points of hard information. But the more closely he read the emails, the less sense they made to him. Each word was one he knew or thought he knew. But when assembled into the specific context of their origin sentence, their meaning became shaky, like a wall of ill-fitting bricks. He felt that if he could just find one sentence that gave absolute concrete information, then it would provide context for the sentences immediately around it, which would then pass on their context outwards in a ripple effect, and the wall of ill-fitting bricks would shift, all falling into place, having only needed a tiny nudge. He combed through the emails, out of frustration looking up each word in the email in turn, but they refused to solidify into anything objective. It was like navigating in heavy fog. He was terrified of his confusion being discovered. Terrified. At any point, he felt someone would rise up in a meeting in Singapore and Frankfurt and San Diego and say, you don't know what you're talking about. Someone in an email chain with the C-suite CC'd would ask a question point blank to which he had no answer. Or worse, one where he could not even parse the meaning of the question. He would be fired. He was sure of it. He would have to confess to his slipping grasp on speech and would be forced to the doctor, where he would be diagnosed with Alzheimer's or a brain tumor or dementia. Unable to ask for clarification directly, and anyway unsure of being able to word such a request correctly, he instead sent vague reports of success and yet vaguer requests for feedback and clarification. He combed through previous emails that he had sent, emails to previous colleagues in previous projects, copy-pasting fragments into something he hoped resembled sense. The replies were blandly encouraging and devoid of meaning. Life followed a pattern which pulled him along without his permission or input. An itinerary would be sent to his company email account with a flight number and the name of a hotel. He would take a taxi to the airport at the given time and board the plane. On the plane, he would sleep and eat, unmoored from normal timekeeping. Breakfast as the sun burned hotly through the portal window, lunch while looking out at the twinkling lights of a nameless city at night far below. He ate and slept, slept and ate, and woke, 
without knowing how much time had passed while he was asleep, or how much was left until arrival. Did it matter? Arrival in the destination airport was a coin toss. Customs and immigration. Sometimes there was immigration, sometimes not. He was never sure which it would be until he arrived. Would often just require him to hand over his little sheaf of travel documents and stand there quietly. But occasionally, they would ask him questions. Business trip, he would say, lamely, gesturing at his documents spread out on the counter in front of him. Their words slid around him like a shoal of quicksilver fish around a diver. He examined their faces, bored and annoyed mostly. If more bored, he would get his passport and itinerary pushed back into his hands with a roll of eyes. If more angry, then he would be forced to explain himself and his purpose more. Business trip. A meeting, he said, close to tears. He tapped on the itinerary where it lay in front of the immigration officer. My hotel. From the airport, a taxi to the hotel. He stumbled when speaking to taxi drivers. He'd enter a taxi a few weeks ago, or was it a few months ago? And had gotten stuck trying to tell the driver the destination hotel. He tried his smattering of Spanish, of French. The driver jabbered at him in return until, giving up on niceties, he had thrust the printout at the driver, pointing to the name of the hotel. The taxi driver nodded brusquely, muttering under his breath. As they drove, he recognized the buildings. He was in London, and the driver had been speaking English. Since then, he stopped talking to the taxi drivers altogether. The night before departing his hotel, he prepared six copies of his itinerary in six transparent plastic loose-leaf folders, one for each taxi between hotel and airport, one for checking into his flight, one each for customs and possible immigration in the arrival airport, and one for the front desk clerk when he checked into the next hotel. He found that if you walked up to the person with confident body language but an apologetic face and handed them the folder, then they would ask few to no questions and simply go about the task of helping him move from one stage of his journey to the next. He was surprised at how grateful he felt to be spared this minimal amount of human interaction. He slid through the world with increasingly less friction. He tried bringing the same strategy to his work. He started meetings by writing vague platitudes on the whiteboard and then gesturing for discussion. Demographic limitation, he wrote in one meeting. Externalize slash glean in another. He slashed the board into quadrants and then let the meeting run its course. If he was asked a question, he would stare out of the window a pantomime of pensiveness and deep thought. Usually the room could only hold this silence for a few seconds before someone else would suggest an answer on his behalf, to which he would nod sagely, and the meeting would continue. He felt that he was getting strange looks. He felt that there were awkward pauses. But he could no longer tell for sure. It was after one such meeting, in Cape Town or Vancouver or Hong Kong, and he was in his hotel room. The television was on, 
blobs of color moved about on the screen. There was music or maybe laughing. He was sitting on the bed with his laptop on his knees, scouring his email inbox for sentences to copy-paste into a report for his manager when the phone rang. He froze. People didn't call him in hotel rooms. Ever. They sent emails. Perhaps it was a mistake. He waited, barely breathing, until it stopped ringing. Then he took the receiver off the cradle. After an indeterminate time, there was a knock at the door. He held very still and wished that the television was off. If the television were off, then he could pretend not to be here. The knock came again with a voice attached to it. Was it saying his name? He opened the door to find a person in hotel uniform. It was a man, he thought. Words tumbled from the uniformed figure too fast to parse. He thought his name was among them. No, thank you, he said to the hotel uniform. He made what he hoped was an apologetic face. No, thank you. He made to close the door, but the uniform rested a hand flat on its surface, the doors, to prevent him from doing so. More words. He thought among them was checkout. He was sweating now, clammy moisture sticking his shirt to his back. He had not received his itinerary yet. Or had he? Was he supposed to leave? He longed for a printout of his itinerary to press into the man's hands, or perhaps it was a woman. They were standing in the doorway, looking at him. Their expression was impossible to read. They spoke again, softer now. It felt like it was a question. If he could check his laptop, then maybe there was a new itinerary there. He could make printouts of it, and this problem would be fixed. Or, or at least this interaction would be over. But he didn't think there was an itinerary, or, or he would have seen it. Or maybe he no longer recognized them, the itineraries, when they arrived in his inbox. The person in the door spoke again. More questions, perhaps? They could be asking for his name, or his itinerary, or where he was going next. But it did not matter, for the man was not sure that he knew. That was Fake Meat by Madoka Mori. It has the delightful distinction of stirring unease at the beginning. Oh no, I've noticed a lack of trust in my words. To encouraging relief at the end. Oh, thank goodness. I would answer a knock on the door very differently. Next time, we'll hear a story where the stakes at karaoke have never been higher. Tune in for The Kneeler by George Murray. To read an interview with this creator or any of the others from this season, head to vocal.media. There, you'll also find a wealth of other work to entice you. Perhaps you'll submit a story of your own. Whoever you are, whatever your story, Vocal belongs to you. If you like the show, come be a part of where it all got started. Join me and the rest of our creators on Vocal. We hope you'll join our community where you can post, read, and comment. 
Pre-order your copy of the anthology at vocal.media or at unbound.com. You might also want to check out Unbound's brilliant podcast, Backlisted. If you haven't had the chance, take a listen to season one of Right Here, Right Now. We hear eight essays from eight authors, then get the chance to hear interviews with the authors themselves. And of course, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to Right Here, Right Now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Erica Wagner. Thanks for listening. Right Here, Right Now is produced by Vocal in partnership with Pod People. Special thanks to our production team, Jacob Fromer, Andrew Hurwitz, and Maya bernstein Shallot, and the team at Pod People, Rachel King, Matt Sav, Amy Machado, Ashton Carter, Rebecca Chasson, and Carter Wogan. 